Are you? Good. Good. That wasn't rhetorical. You can talk. Um, so this week I was at one of my offices, which I have many of um, scattered throughout the city, and I was preparing this little series that uh, a couple of weeks ago I just was in a time of prayer and really felt like, um, and if you're in preschool, you can leave at this time. Sorry about that. Um, just the preschoolers. But I was in this time of prayer and uh, really felt like we were going to do this family series and we, I needed to push that back and we needed to talk about a couple ideas as we enter the summer about what it means to go and overflow. What does it mean to really live out this, this joyous call that we have in Jesus? And I was, um, I was using one of my spiritual gifts at that moment, but then I changed to one of my superpower superhero gifts, um, which is eavesdropping. Um, <laughs> it's not like gossip, but it's um, going down that. Anyway, so there were these two women that were across the coffee shop from me. And as they were talking, I could kind of get um, the sense that um, they were discussing faith, they were discussing religion, they were discussing Jesus. One was older and one was younger, and um, one of them seemed to be a college-age student, and she was talking to this older lady who seemed to be kind of a pastor-type person. And, um, and I was wondering what prompted the meeting. So I tuned in my superhero powers of eavesdropping, and... Uh, and basically, the, the way I gathered the story was that um, she, had, she had caught some opposition at her um, higher education institution. Uh, she'd realized that the faith that her parents had um, tried to share with her, her parents had tried to live out um, by bringing her to church, wasn't really hers. And so the opposition that she felt um, towards a biblical view of the world um, at her higher education institution brought doubts, it brought fears, it brought criticism that she hadn't encountered yet before in her life and her faith. And um, these PhD-level professor people that had the right credentials um, to speak these truths really shook her. And now she was sitting with this pastor or pastor-type person um, to process her thoughts. And I just thought about, like, what, what would we have said? You know, what would I have said if I was sitting across the, the table from this girl? Or what would I have not said? What would I have listened to? And maybe the same goes for you. If you picture this scene, what would you have said? Or what would you have listened for? Or maybe, vice versa, you're the young woman. And you have your own doubts and your own questions about what it means to have this biblical view of the world in light of all that we know and in higher education, and, and this opposition that you face in your faith, either at work or at school or at, even in your home, um, what does that mean? What does that opposition mean? Um, I think it, it could mean an opportunity. Um, there's a saying that crisis reveals character. Maybe you've heard it before. It's, it's the reason that they, that they keep these people up till all hours of the night to, um, to do games slash reality shows like Survivor. I mean, because anybody can be kind of pleasant for eight hours of the day if they get eight hours of sleep. But if they get only two to four hours of sleep and then they wake them up at odd times and they change their diet and they put them in these tense situations, which they do, voila, you have like a million dollar idea for a show and Survivor goes on and on and on and on. And you're like, why are these people so crazy on this show? Well, now you know. It's because they put them into these stressful situations and they get this water to like boil up over the top 
just like, and then they go, hmm, I wonder what's going to come out if I just keep boiling and boiling and boiling the water. Like, it's going to overflow something. And what is going to overflow from that situation? Our character, our true self overflows from that situation. I had one of those situations when I was, uh, I think I was like 16 and a half or 17. I was working at a pool. Um, I was working my way into like an assistant manager kind of supervisor role. And I was dating sort of one of the lifeguards, which probably wasn't the, we didn't start dating while we were at work. We met each other at school, just to clarify the situation. Anyway, we got into a really stressful situation kind of amongst us. And I think I said something that was slightly tense or inappropriate. And, and I don't know, a couple hours later, or a couple days later, this girl said, um, I'll date you, but I'll never work for you. I'm like, ow. I redeemed myself in a different situation with a different girl. Girl, though. Um, I was on a catamaran sailing, because I was kind of a sailor type person, and the wind hit the sail, this 20-foot beam, this huge sail, burst a wind, and launched the girl off of the catamaran. I'm not exaggerating. Boom! Into the water, and she has a life jacket on, but she cannot swim, okay? So I didn't, I wasn't really thoughtful. I was only 18 at the time, so just discovering my relationship with Jesus, and boom! And then the whole catamaran goes down, and so immediately, crisis I swim over, are you okay? Can I bring you over? As I'm, you know, finding out if she's okay. The catamaran isn't just going down on the water. Now it's flipped all the way around. The sail beam is straight down in the water and it's locked in place. If you know anything about sailing, now it's like a giant spoon or a giant, um, the, the sail has all this water and it cannot come out of the water unless I release that. I still have flashbacks from when I was little of Jaws, the movies that if your parents tell you not to watch a scary movie, listen to them. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's just a lake, it's just a lake. So I had to swim under the water several times to unhook the things and get this back up, which I was able to do, and then we were able to get on, and then I was able to sail in. And all the while, I'm very calm, I'm cool, I'm collected, I, I have concern for this other person. I don't even realize this until we're sailing back in and she says, you know, crisis reveals the character of a man. And I'm like, I just got called a man. <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good moment. Um, not, it, just as much as the, the one before that was a really bad moment. But in either case, my true self came out in that situation. The crisis revealed my character. And when the water gets hot and it starts to boil over, we have this overflow that comes out of our life. But aside from, you know, a good laugh, what, what does that mean for us who follow Jesus? I mean, can we, is there a way to ensure that the overflow of our life will reveal more and more of Jesus? When we're in a crisis, can we know What will overflow from our character? Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. Is there a way to know what will come out? Rather than just trying harder to control our thoughts and trying harder to control our actions, is there a way to know? And as I process this week, I mean, I thought the Bible said yes. 
I really did. But as I processed it this week, and as I meditated on it, as I studied on it, I'm pretty confident that it does say yes. So we're going to go to Acts 3 and Acts 4 today and look at that, if there's a way to know what this overflow will happen. Um, So as you're turning there, I would love to pray for us. Um, God, you alone have the power. Um, Yet, when your spirit came to us, we were given that power. God, and not in a self-centered way, in a selfless way, I pray that your power um, would be present, that your spirit would be present as we open your word, as we um, look at it, as we read it. God, people who are facing opposition today and crisis today, may they especially hear these words, um, that we can know what the overflow of our heart can be, according to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So in Acts chapter 3, it starts out, um, the Spirit of God has come down on Pentecost and the new believers are there. Um, Jesus has already been uh, crucified. He was raised from the dead and now his Spirit's there and these people are um, amongst the city of Jerusalem. And so in Acts 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This crisis reveals character. I don't really know what it's like to be a beggar, and I'm certainly not making fun of people who are begging um, and beggars, although I have gotten better at begging as a church planter. Can I have that? Can I have that? Do you need that? Can I borrow that? Can I have, do you want to give? So, um, we find out later in the story that this man has been uh, a beggar. He's been paralyzed for 40 years. He's been lame. That's, he's done this a long time, and he knows the right time to go to the temple. If you've ever um, driven downtown, if you've driven from downtown and taken like 55 Hiawatha and you've hit 62, County Road 62, you know that there's always someone at that location in the afternoon and, it, and that, that person doesn't change too much, at least when I drive it regularly. I notice that that's a prime spot. And this, in this particular case, um, we have a picture of the temple. Um, and so the gate, beautiful, probably is that gate down in the lower right corner. It's the gate from the court of the Gentiles into the court of Israel or the court of women and then the inner court of the court of men. But the point is, lots of people would be in the spot. This is a prime location to sit. And and we get another clue by the fact that Peter says to the man, look at us. Because what's likely happening here is that Peter and John are just one of hundreds, if not thousands of people, moving into the temple for a time of prayer. And so the man is begging Peter and John, but at the same time, he's like, well, if I'm not going to get money from you, there's other people that are going to go by. So he's begging to other people, even as Peter and John stop, we think. And so he says, look at us. And then the man gives them his attention, and it continues. Peter and John, or Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have, but I give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And he takes him by the right hand and he helps him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who sat begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running from the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Peter and John saw an opportunity. And that opportunity, Jesus or Peter and and John took as an opportunity to share what Jesus had taught them to share. They remembered in Luke 9, when Jesus called them together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So when they got to this spot and they were in this situation and they looked and they like, I don't have money, but I can give you the, the one thing I do have. They simply did what Jesus had taught them to do. Sometimes as I was studying this, I I just stopped at that verse and went, I wonder if my life would be easier. Not not easier in a way of not hardship, but easier in the way of complexity versus simplicity. I wonder if my life would be more simple if I simply just did what Jesus had already taught me to do. Sometimes we're, some of us, um, we really like input or data or knowledge, and so we think that we need to read more and more and more of the Bible. And, and that's good, but it might be just simply that we need to apply what we already know. Peter and John were just applying what they already knew, and they see an opportunity to give the praise, not to themselves, but to God. And so they say, wow, there's this crowd, they healed the man, opportunity. We didn't do this, this is of God. And then he goes into a really phenomenal um, talk on Jesus that's important, but we're going to pass over that because this also stirs up some opposition. He gives a really great message. 3,000 people believe, um, or actually 2,000 more, but it also stirs up some opposition in Acts 4. So if you're in your Bible, you can turn to it. It says in verse 1, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees, um, here's the way you can remember it. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, and they're both part of this council that we'll get to in a second. So verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But those who heard the message believed, and the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Catch this, because it's easy to skip over. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other members of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Okay? Remember the opening story of this woman who was getting opposition at higher education university and the opposition opened up an opportunity. 
Now, I don't know if Peter and John were thinking real opportunity right now because these are the same people, this is the same council or court that crucified or had Jesus crucified. Annas, Caiaphas, these people were around just a month or weeks before when they're like, Jesus needs to go. And they order things and do an unrighteous trial to get Jesus to this place where he's brought before the people and the people say, crucify him. These are the same people. They have the more schooling, they have more credentials, they have more status, they have more power, certainly, than Peter and John not even had but could ever dream of having. And so, do they see this opposition as an opportunity? You know, what are their options? I don't think they could try and run out of the room. There were temple guards there that would make that pretty challenging. They could have remained silent, but they would have probably been punished for that. They don't have a Fifth Amendment um, like we do. They could have said their power was their own because there were lots and lots of people that were claiming to be messiahs, claiming to be um, people that would had the power to heal. Or, or they could have just believed Jesus' words that he told them way back. Um, remember, the writer of Acts is the same writer who wrote Luke. And so many chapters before this, Jesus had said in Luke 12, when you're brought before the synagogues, when you're brought before the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you'll defend yourself for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what to say. So rather than be paralyzed because they didn't have preparation, they simply walked into the situation and said, okay, what does it mean for us to be loyal to God? And it says in verse 8, the narrative story continues, Peter filled with the Spirit says, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called into account for an act of kindness showed to a man that was lame and being asked how we healed him, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and then he quotes this Old Testament verse that they would have known really well, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. So salvation is found in no one else. There is no one under heaven, no other name given to humans that by which we can be saved. That's kind of kind of a big statement there. There's not really a, a, a gray area here that, that Peter and John are talking about. More power, more status, more everything. And he's like, well, here's an opportunity. And verse 13, if you're wondering, just kind of crystallizes it. Next verse says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together, what are we going to do with these men Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But we need to stop this thing from spreading any further. We must warn them not to speak or do anything in this man's name. And so they called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. There's some opposition here. It's the rulers. It's the rulers that have put basically all the pieces in place for Jesus to be crucified. Now there's two of his followers which have even less standing than he does. 
or than Jesus did, and they're like, this is it. You can't do this anymore. Opposition. Did it bring an opportunity? In that crisis, what was revealed about their character? Well, verse 19 says, Peter and John replied, well, what do you think? Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? To be loyal to God or to be loyal to you in the authorities? You be the judges. Verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking or teaching what we have seen and what we have heard. This is the supreme court of Jerusalem, and Peter and John are fishermen from Galilee. And yet, in that moment, they see this opposition as an opportunity. They got to clearly talk about Jesus, about what he had done, and when it came down to it, they're like, are we going to be loyal to you, God, or are we going to be loyal to these men who are telling us to not talk about you? And as they, as they sit there, and they stand before these people with piercing eyes, looking down at them in this room, unschooled, ordinary men, They just say, you know what? Like, no matter what opposition you give us, we can't stop speaking or teaching what we have seen and heard. Like, our lives are just going to overflow with Jesus. We can't help it. It's just going to come out. One day I was at the Y a few weeks ago, and I was wearing my restoration t-shirt and I was, had just gotten done swimming, and I was getting dressed, and this guy came in, and um, he looks at my t-shirt, and he says, I am restoring hope. What does that mean? And he had this kind of very obvious cross on, so I, I figured my chances were good that if I just kind of started mid-story, he would know. And I'm like, well, God calls himself I am, and so we believe God's restoring hope, and we, we just want to share that with people. And he's like, don't I know it? You wouldn't believe what happened to me. And before I even got a chance to say, you know, I don't really have time, or I'm tying my son's shoes, he's like, well, there's this one day, and, and he talked about some details of his life, and then bam! And then he, he was like, I was out, and, and I don't even know how long I was out, because the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the hospital, and these people tell me that I was clinically dead. And I'm like, whoa. And he's like, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how long I didn't have oxygen going to my brain. And okay. And he's like, but in that moment, I saw Jesus. And he told me that I had to come back down. He told me I had to stay. He told me there was a message to proclaim. And so the doctors, like a day later, couldn't find anything wrong with me. So they had to let me go. So this is my message. This is why I'm telling people that Jesus, like he saved me. I'm like, wow. (laughs) What was he saying? I just have to tell people. I just can't stop talking about what Jesus has done for my life. It's going to overflow. He had a personal encounter with Jesus, and nobody was going to deny it. And I'm like, well, praise God. And he's like, yeah, praise God to you too. And then we left. And, and I'm like, okay, how is this going to sound? You know, this idea of overflow and coming out, you know, because you might think, well, you know, Rob, that's easy for you. You're kind of a flaming extrovert. Um, and that's easy for that guy. He experienced a miracle. But what about me? Because I don't do that. I'm not that 
out there. Um, go back to verse 13. Because I think verse 13 kind of crystallizes and centralizes the whole deal for us. It says, when they saw the courage or the boldness, and those aren't words that are about extroverted or introverted. I mean, your personality is going to come out in whatever way it's going to come out, but, but this is just a, a, a knowledge and assurance that, that Jesus is who he said he is. When they saw the courage of John and Peter and they realized that these were just ordinary, unschooled guys, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't have the right education. They didn't have the right status. They didn't hold any power or prominence. They were simply people who'd been with Jesus. And as you look at your life, and I look at my life, and we look at our life, have we been with Jesus? Do some of us have maybe a third-person encounter with Jesus or a third-person experience with Jesus that goes something like this? You know, I heard a great story about this guy Jesus once. Or, you know, I know a guy who said prayer really works, so you should try that. Um, You know, my pastor says a relationship with God is amazing and life-changing and challenging all at the same time. You should try it. Or, or, Or just, oh yeah, I go to church. Um, those are all first or third-person experiences. They're all kind of second-hand. They're not personal. You know, as we, as we look at Memorial Day and we think about the sacrifice that people have given um, and we think about how we will participate in that, uh, I found it interesting that over the years, depending on my first-person experience, depends kind of on how I celebrate that. If I think of it in general, in generalities, I just kind of tip my hat and say, yeah, that's a big deal. It's, it's good that we can worship together and not have you know, people trying to kill us. Um, but when I think about like my grandfathers who served, and I think about my friends who have served, and some of them who have gotten hurt, and all of a sudden it, it personalizes it, it brings it into a first-hand encounter, it means so much more to me. And I think that when we have a first-hand experience with Jesus... We can't help but have like the Jesusness come out. We can't, we can't help but overflow. Again, it's going to look different depending on our personalities, but that's because God's created us differently and that's okay. But it just has to come out. Peter and John, they didn't do anything. They didn't force it. It just had to come out. Maybe you're in a crisis right now. Maybe that crisis is kind of revealing some character. Maybe some of those character things are overflowing and and maybe it's not hope or joy or peace or patience or self-control or kindness or gentleness. And if it's not, then just ask, I'm not going to judge you. I hope nobody here does, but ask the Spirit of God, why? Why Why aren't those things coming out? Why isn't more of Jesus coming out? Am I, am I really living kind of a third-person experience with Jesus? Do I really know him? And it, it's, it's simple to know him. It's, it's challenging to follow him because he kind of asks for all of us, but it's simple to know him. We can just say, you know what? I, I have. I've been in control of my life, and I've been loyal to me, and I've been in charge of me, but now I'm going to be loyal to you, God, 
because of Jesus' death, because of his sacrifice, because of my belief in him, you be Lord, you be captain, I'll be loyal to you. And when that happens, like this beautiful exchange of a selfish heart to a selfless heart happens. And in one sense, it happens like that. And in another sense, it takes a lifetime to train. And you can do that. You can just say that to God right now. And I encourage you, if that crisis isn't overflowing with God's character, then, then maybe that's an opportunity. And if you're facing op- opposition at home or at work or in a relationship, then, then just ask God, God, is this an opportunity to be loyal to you? Is this an opportunity to see how you will work things out in my life, to see whether it's big or small, a miracle happen? What does it mean, God, to be loyal to you in this situation? Because if you love Jesus, then, then you just want to overflow that in, in flamboyant ways, like some of us, or, or in subtle ways. And, and neither are right or wrong. It's, it's what God has put in your heart and how his spirit comes out. But as we enter the summer and we look at, at what it means to be Christ followers in our community and as a community, this idea of overflowing was just something that God put on my heart that he wants us to, to bust out of our seats and just overflow. Not in a forced way, not in a you need to sign up for these 18 things way, but in a way that says this is what God has done. Because Satan wants to pollute the overflow Satan wants to damn the blessings. He wants to cover them up so that we don't flow, so that other people don't know what it means, so that when something happens and people rush to say, whoa, what happened? Like Peter and John, they can say, do you think this is because of us or do you think this is because of God? And Satan wants to distract us and destroy that in our minds. Um, as I was sitting at the same coffee shop, there was a certain painting company that ha- was doing a little training there. And they had these six 15, uh, high school or college-age boys all in their same color t-shirt. And they were going to tell them how they were going to overflow about this painting business. And if they went up to a company or they went up to a house and they could talk about how amazing it was and get information, they would get $5. And if they scheduled an appointment, then they would get $15. And if people actually come and did the work, then they would get an extra $25. And these boys are sitting there, these young men are sitting there like eager. And they're like, but you have to have a script because people are going to just rah. And so they went through over and over and over, and I was there, and I was, I was eavesdropping again, superpower. Um, it was kind of obvious, though. They were a little bit loud. But the point was that in those moments, they had these little comments, and you could just tell that, that these young men hadn't had an experience with this painting company. They weren't sure that this was going to overflow, and so they had to practice script after script after script, and they were like, nope, that's wrong. Nope, you can't say that because then they're going to shut the door in your face. Or nope, they can't. And that's not what I'm talking about. We don't have to force it or fake it. When we had a real encounter with Jesus, when we realize what he's done for us, when we realize that he's given us this selflessness, that God has saved us, that God has chosen us, God's water doesn't run out. But it just overflows. So what does it look like for you to overflow today? What does it look like for you to overflow this summer? 
What does it look like for you to overflow in your neighborhood, in your families? What does it look like when that crisis comes for this godly character to come out? It's a question that I, I'd really even invite you to look, grab your worship folder and say, because maybe God is saying something to you right now and just capture that thought before we go into this last song. And so I invite you to do that now as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just such a clear picture of what a transformed life with you looks like through these these lives of these two men, Peter and John. Lord, they didn't do everything right. They didn't do everything perfect. But in that crisis, their character, that, that you had put something in their heart and overflowed from that, was, that came out. That in that opposition, God, they saw the opportunity to share what you had done for them. God, I pray that, that in our lives, we would have and live by a first-person experience, a first-hand encounter with you that it would be so easy for us to talk about that because we realize what you've done for us. Not in a forced way, God, not in a fake way, but just in a genuine way. God, give us that. Give us opportunities wherever we go, whether we're here, whether we're out, whether we're in our neighborhood, to genuinely overflow about what you've done for us, God. And, and if there's something that where we're stuck, some way that the blessings aren't flowing or the the overflow of our heart isn't from you. Um, Holy Spirit, speak to that. Tell us what that is. Um, Work on that in our hearts so that we can be pure vessels for you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. God's loyalty to us is not based on our faith in him, but based on his faithfulness to us. So may you know that today. May you experience that. May the overflow of what God has done in your life flow out of you and out of us to the, those around us. Um, if you want to get plugged in or find a way to serve because of that overflow, we'd love to do that with you um, and have a wonderful week. Hope to see you tomorrow at the picnic. Thanks.